0: The Secrets of Sacred Art is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Sacred Art, where we unearth the hidden treasures... History and deeper meanings in religious and sacred art. We're your hosts, Catherine Laffrey
1: and Alex Murray. Welcome to episode two of The Secrets of Sacred Art, The Lights in the Vault of Heaven. In this episode, we're going to talk about a little bit of an art adventure that um, Catherine and I had when she came to visit me last May. If you can believe that, Catherine, 2022. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and um but this was something that was a long time coming. And um so I always advise people if they're going to travel cuz I uh, my family and I have done lots of traveling around the world and I always think it's a good idea to Get to know one place really well, rather than kind of spread yourself thin all over a country. You know, you just don't really get to to see it in an in an intimate way and, and find those special little secrets. And so that's what I advise people to do. And Catherine, is that what we did when when you came over to visit?
0: That is not what we did. We ran like wild women. You've got to see this. You've got I to know. See this.
1: I broke my own rule. We've
0: got to go to this church. We've got to go to that church.
1: Exactly. There was, but you know what? The thing is, there was just so much I wanted to show you that I just you didn't stay long enough. You have to come back over, and it's you know every part. I have to say this: every part of the British Isles is is really amazing in terms of history, in terms of um, Catholic history, uh, because of the you know just everything that happened here, and it goes back just such a long way i mean you know where do you start how long is the how long is a piece of string i mean that's kind of how you you do history in this country and so i did um i did want to show you as much of this fair aisle as i could and uh and
0: lucky for you i like exploring
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and sitting in the car (laughs) but it was yeah but anyway um yeah, so, we definitely
0: encourage people to get out there,
1: explore. Yes. Yeah. There's
0: always so much to find. I mean, in the littlest places, you might not even be familiar with every nook and cranny of your own parish. So it's fun yeah. to like, ask to see. Hey, can I see what the sacristy looks like? Maybe there's some beautiful little piece of art that the priest has up. Yeah, to help and him get ready for Mass. You never know. Absolutely. That was a fun thing for us to see in one of our parishes where the priest had a beautiful picture of the chalice that I think Pope Francis has, and he oh. was given a replica of it to use at Mass.
1: And so oh, wow. it was kind of neat to
0: see how he just uses that to get himself ready for Mass. So museums, churches, there's yeah. so many places. I mean... Like your little part-time island that we went to. Yes.
1: <laughs> part-time That's really cute. Yes. yes.
0: I have to call Lindisfarne a part-time island because that was the first time I have ever seen a piece of land like that that goes from this little sandy peninsula to complete island. Yeah. With a lot of warning signs along the way. <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> I know. I know. And it and, and again, the other thing that that we encourage people to do, which is what we did with Lindisfarne, and it just became more and more fascinating the more we dug into it is to look into the history look into the Mm -hmm. history of where your church is who who started this church what religious order was here and maybe even the the um the name of your city or town you know certainly in the united states you always know which day this the city was founded um Mm -hmm with the catholic saint names and i just think that's so cool that's like really easy oh that city was founded in this day you know and um but yeah so so lindisfarne is is a very unique island in terms of its topography but also in terms of its place in in history not only um Christian history but history in general it's just it's a really really fascinating place and and if you want I can start on a little bit of the uh the history of the island and again it's been a
0: year since Lindisfarne and I still feel it
1: I know I know it's so beautiful (laughs) just to be
0: a little uh Frodo-ish there.
1: (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So now um, Lindisfarne is located in the North Sea and it's connected and separated by a tidal causeway. And that Catherine mentioned that a little bit. And it is, it is a strong and fast tidal causeway. And um, you always have to have it in the back of your mind that the ocean, the North Sea is not going to stop for you. (laughs) Um, and there's evidence of human activity on the island dating back to around 8000 BC. Uh, there might have been a Roman fort on the island, um, but the Romans did call the island Insula Medicata, which means the healing island. So it's very interesting. Uh-huh. The Celts knew it as Medcote, And the meaning of that word has been lost to time. So we don't know mm-hmm. what that means. The name Lindisfarne. Uh, is thought to mean retreat. And there are some tax records going back from around 700 mentioning a tribe, uh, called the Lindisi or Lindsey tribe, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And they were present on the island um, after migrating there from an area near Doncaster, which is quite a ways south. And, and when you think about, they didn't have uh, motorways and cars, so it was kind of impressive that they they really wanted to, I think, be left alone on Lindisfarne. And so, ultimately, the name means Lindsay's retreat, and. Just a little side note to here, my maiden last name is Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and it's a very unusual spelling of the name. Um, some, there's another spelling that is Scottish and another one that is Irish, but L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, I never knew where that came from. And if it hadn't been for me doing this research, I never would have found out about the Lindsay tribe. And so if there are any Lindsays out there with the E in their name, you have a very old, old name and uh, a little island. uh, And it's no wonder you felt
0: so (laughs) at home in that area.
1: (laughs) I know. Isn't that funny? That was like, that blew me away. That totally blew me away. But uh, anyway, so now, in 635, King Oswald of Northumberland asked Saint Aidan of Iona, and that's the other holy island, and and you can look on the map that we have here. I guess we should tell people who are listening we do have a lot of video references, and so we encourage you to to take a look at the videos when you can. Obviously, all of these images are going to be in the. In the links for the show, but uh, it's definitely worth just uh, looking at some really fa- fascinating images that we'll have, and not just Catherine and me chatting with each other. But uh, but if you look on the map, you have Iona, which is on, um, off the coast of Scotland, and Lindisfarne, which is off the coast of, of England in the north. And so Saint Aidan traveled from Iona. To Lindisfarne, Lindisfarne, and under his guidance, the Priory of Lindisfarne became the center of ecclesiastical life in the north. So it was a very important um, place of uh, study and faith there. And it was a missionary. I think I mentioned it was a missionary uh, community. And in six sixty four, Saint Saint Cuthbert became the prior of Lindisfarne, and he's another very famous. um saint and we'll be talking about him and where he's buried and he one of the things that he did was he actually regularized the celtic liturgical calendar with the roman liturgical calendar especially um as it um as it pertains to the easter season so so that is that was his big significant thing that he did in this country and in 676, Cuthbert retired to a hermitage, which is on another island not far from Lindisfarne, and he died in 687. And after his death, the island became a place of pilgrimage um, for people all over Europe, not just, not just the British Isles, but Europe. And um, in the early 700s, The Lindisfarne Gospels were created, and we're going to be talking about them. It's one of the most famous, most beautiful Gospels ever created. And they were created by Adfret, who was the Bishop of Lindisfarne, um, and he was Bishop from 698 to 721. Now, on the 8th of June in 793, Vikings landed on the shores of Lindisfarne, and the island's fate changed forever. And it was a difficult year already. And one Anglo-Saxon chronicler described the events as follows. There were dreadful forewarnings come over the land of Northumbria. Woefully terrified were the people. These were amazing sheets of lightning and whirlwinds and fiery dragons were seen flying in the sky. A great famine soon followed these signs. And shortly after in the same year, on the sixth day before the Ides of January, The woeful inroads of heathen men destroyed God's church on Lindisfarne Island by fierce robbery and slaughter. And for the next 82 years, the island was subject to regular Viking raids, and it was finally abandoned in 875. And then we visited it, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, and here we have a couple of, um, well, you can see the Holy Island and how the the Vikings came to shore. And there's a fantastic medieval um, image. It looks like it's probably from a manuscript and it's got the island in the middle. And all of these um, Viking ships, with. Well, I guess they did have red sails. They, uh, there are a lot of um, contemporary descriptions of them seeing those red sails coming over the horizon and really panicking you can't see the red sails here but you can get a sense of of the island really being vulnerable and closed in by all those those ships and I love um, how in
0: this image the island is this cute little circle and the six ships (laughs) completely surrounding it there's no hope no hope compared to the actual shape of the island which is this funny little
1: elongation kind of looks like a dragon's head me. It really does. I it has know, a mouth kinda...
0: and eye and everything.
1: I know. I know. I think that might be the tower or something. There's a castle on the island, too, but we it won't talk be, about yeah. that. Yeah. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting, and Catherine, I really want to get your impressions of, of you, your first impressions of the island, because this has been something that's been in my consciousness, I think, for a very long time, um, having lived in really Northern Europe. And then in Britain, you know, Holy Islands are kind of just part of <laughs> this part of my life. And so I don't remember a time I wasn't aware of Lindisfarne or Iona, but um, you had never heard about it before. And so I would love to hear some of your impressions. And I'm sure some of the listeners, I'm sure there are listeners who's not who've never heard of it. So why don't you give us an idea of what it was like to first see this place and hear about this place?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because being in Michigan, I'm used to islands also my whole life, you know, for different reasons. There was Boblo Island, which was a little fun adventure place to go. And then we have Mackinac Island and the Manitou Islands and all the islands within the Great Lakes. So for me, the best thing to do when I'm approaching a place like that is I always want to see how far off I can see it. So for me... From having our trip along the coast as it did oh,
1: yeah, allowed me yeah. to
0: try to find it as far out as I could. And I remember that first glimpse I have of it. We just have this little crest of land out in the water. And you could see a little bit of the, the castle that's on the island and a few other points. But I was surprised at how just long and stretched out and flat it was.
1: Yeah. So it, yeah. it didn't
0: really like come up strongly out of the out of the water.
1: No, was like so, raising out of the water like some great yeah, beast. It's, you know, no, it's flat.
0: <laughs> you know, it's not like the island I expected. Like Luke Skywalker was on that big giant, you know, yeah, exactly sticking up from the water. No, nothing. No, that's down in like Ireland. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like wrong side of the water here.
1: Yeah. But yeah. it was
0: just such a beautiful trip and um just knowing where it was within the you know Uh, English countryside and everything, and just the whole drive to it was fascinating. What was crazy was knowing that we had a very tight schedule to stick to.
1: Yeah, yeah, we did.
0: Thankfully for Donald, your husband, he gave (laughs) us very clear instructions as to this is when high tide is, this is when low tide is, don't be driving during high tide. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and because every year somebody gets stuck somebody's car and it's really the tide is so strong and cars get swept away and it's a little bit scary like it was weird i was thinking about this i wonder if this is what it felt like to be on the island especially right after the raids um because when you get onto the island it's really peaceful and it's beautiful and you can the spirituality is still there this sense of being really connected with this ancient Catholic faith is definitely there. And so there's peace and um, and, and calm with that. But at the same time, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, OK, what time is it? Because we've got to get off this island. We've got to get off this island. And I just wonder if it was kind of like that, you know, with the monks going to Vespers and in prayer. But if they saw those red sails coming over the horizon, what to do? Because they would have about an hour between the sighting of the sails to prepare for the raid. And mm-hmm. that is not a long time <laughs> at all. Yeah, and
0: then I just thought, oh my gosh, if that was during high tide and you know you can't run very far, you're stuck.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, do you know, it's interesting. I don't know how it would work. Like, it's interesting. So on the other side where the, you know, where the Vikings would have been coming to the island, if that side was tidal, as well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I no, should the have tide it would up. go
0: up and down all around the island for
1: sure. Yeah, so they might. So they wouldn't have been able. But do you know what? I hate to say this. If the Vikings wanted to get onto your island, a tide is not going to yeah. stop <laughs> them. <It's laughs>
0: not going to stop them at all. No, no they already know what to do. They were such great sailors. Exactly.
1: Those longboats are amazing. Amazing. Yeah. We'll talk
0: about amazing. Okay. Kudos to the road crews. Who put down this road to know yeah. that it's getting washed over, you know, sometimes twice a day. Yeah, please, like yeah, it is twice a feet day. Eight underwater, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what made me nervous so, was the um, posts along yes. the road. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And then you can't go really fast. Like my my instinct would be, let's hurry up and get on the island and let's hurry and get up and get off the island. But there's one road. So if there are people leaving, you have to pull over to the side and wait. And I was just like, don't you people know there's a tide coming? <laughs>
0: but- What's interesting in Michigan, we have a lot of roads that are along um, dammed up rivers. So there's times mm-hmm. where your car actually dips under the level of the river or lake that you're driving next to.
1: Yeah. It kind of uh, freaks you
0: out for a second till you come up on the other side. We have one not far from us where you actually go about 12 feet below the level of the water on the oh other side of the dam next to you. Yeah. Here, going across, knowing you're literally sea level, sea yeah. floor level. Yeah. when we got to the middle of that. It got really quiet in the car. (laughs) It did. (laughs) And you're looking back and forth and you see these posts way above the height of your head. Yeah. Yep. Let's get to the other side. Let's get to the other side.
1: Yeah. 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 It was really, it was really, um, a little nerve wracking, but then we got to the island and, uh, you know, we, the sigh of relief and, um, it was, uh, just, it, it was amazing the We saw some things that were very familiar to us, Uh, the ruins of the Abbey. Um, Now, these ruins would have been the Abbey that had been rebuilt. I think the ones that the Abbey were, or the Priory, sorry, that um, the Vikings would have raided, that was not built of stone. That was probably, you know... Uh, wooden posts and and uh, some kind of thatched roofs, um, maybe some stones, but not really. And then, but when they returned to the island, and we haven't really talked about this because that's actually going to be for another podcast. That, so there's another connection, and keep listening because you'll get the connection. And these were the the ruins that we saw the stone mm-hmm. sandstone ruins, and-, and it
0: took me a moment to get the timeline in my head yeah Because you always hear about the viking raids and i was like oh look what they did and it's like oh no that was after the viking raids yeah. this was destroyed later which is another, another story for another
1: time <laughs> yeah another story somebody else destroyed this one but um but anyway but but also to see the familiarity of it was um Really interesting, I think. That's funny you
0: said familiarity because what did I say? As soon as I got on that island, this reminds me of, I was like, this is like Mackinac Island, a little older,
1: but it had the same
0: feel. And I went and looked at, and I have up here satellite images of the Manitou Islands, uh, the Holy Island in the middle, and Mackinac Island. And they all have bays that face essentially to the southeast or the east and when you think about it for an island to have a landing like that it gives you a sheltered place from the prevailing winds which would be moving that way you know so you have the winds coming out of the west yeah and on all these islands those bays are a nice deep point so it's easy for ships to come ashore
1: yeah unfortunately did
0: (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it's great for fishing and all the other activities that are happening yeah. on the island. Yeah. And there were activities like that. Holy Island has its own little town. Uh, and you need to, you know, have a way to take care of yourselves.
1: But yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, to have that similarity, it really struck me. It's like, okay, this explains a lot about how things happen and move in and around island communities.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the things, so going back to to Lindisfarne, so we're making all, as you said, making all of these connections, um, trying to figure out what are we looking at here? uh, Because we were looking at we were trying to find in terms of sacred art, what were they trying to do? What were the what were the. Messages they were trying to communicate to people, people, because remember, this was a missionary uh, community. So they were going out and evangelizing to people who were not um, Christians at the time. And how do you communicate this information to them? Because if you are trying to communicate to someone and you're not speaking their language to some capacity, you're actually not telling them anything. You know, and and so it was really important for them to to create images and uh, that the people there would understand and would relate to. And of course, I think the ultimate um, example of that is the Lindisfarne Gospels. But when we were on this island, we were. There's a nice little museum, and by the way, they totally redid the museum, so you'll have to go back. Oh, yeah, they redid um, it.
0: It was really lovely. I know. a lot of great artifacts. I was surprised at how much they found.
1: Yeah. And of course, and they're coming still home, finding stuff. I had to stuff. read about it. Yeah. They're
0: finding all the digging they're still doing.
1: I know they found something last year, and I wish I could remember what it was. But it's something like it's Iron Age or something. It's amazing. But um, but we made our own discovery on the island. In the museum, and it's something called the Doomsday Stone or the Viking Raider Stone.
0: Oh, we got this picture. Up yes, here.
1: absolutely. So you can see here we've got um, a close-up image of the Viking raid manuscript that uh, Catherine had on before, and it, but it's just one of the ships, and you can see even the fish are trying to keep them away from the island. It's very sad. Anyway, and. And then to the right, you have the Doomsday Stone, and this is the back of the Doomsday Stone. Is a commemoration. It's commemorating the Viking raid. I would say commemorating, memorializing. Maybe I don't think they were really happy about it, but they wanted to let people know this happened. Um,
0: that puts a timestamp on the stone.
1: It does. It does. And so this happened obviously after the raid, and it was discovered. In the 19th century. And it was given the name in the 19th century, the doomsday stone. So it's not like something we don't know what it was called, if it was called anything. um, It could be a grave marker. It most likely is a grave marker. So it could have been somebody who was maybe killed in the raid or um, had survived and had survived the raids, maybe. Yeah,
0: it could have Um, been someone who was very heroic during the raids. Stood yeah up to how many little guys we got there seven little seven readers. yeah
1: so I loved it, how
0: their're carving and the painting they both have their little stripy lines on their outfits
1: yeah, that is supposed that's thought to have been a type of chain mail okay. um but how do you how do you show chain mail when you've got a quill and ink and um maybe a or paintbrush and made. chisel yeah exactly so and and you know it probably was much more detailed um You know, over a thousand years ago, but it's obvious it's sandstone, so it gets it can be worn quite quickly. But um, on the just to give you a little bit of a description of the doomsday stone, there are seven warriors. These are the Viking warriors coming in and and, um, each warrior is holding either an axe or a sword. And um, they're very close to one another, and they seem—they almost give the impression of, of charging forward. And you know, kind of their knees are pumping, and weapons are raised, and you just kind of get an the feeling if these guys were coming after you, you were not going to escape. You know, this now, must Alex, have.
0: Have you watched you watched the Secret of Kells? Because you told me about it first.
1: Yeah, the, yeah. The cartoon movie.
0: The way that they showed the raiders in that cartoon. Yeah. Helped make this piece a little more intense for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because then you
0: kind of have a sound in your head or imagining just the the ominous threat.
1: Yeah. Of them
0: coming, you know, coming ashore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it must have been really, um, it must have been absolutely terrifying To see these raiders come from nowhere. Now, I do have to say, this was probably not... Well, I know this wasn't the first Viking raid in Britain. The first one took place in um, Mercia. and uh, But this was the first... This was so devastating because of Lindisfarne's prominence in uh, Christendom. And Mm -hmm. also... The people who How far away is
0: Mercia? Sorry.
1: I live in Mercia. Oh. So, yeah. Midlands. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That's quite a yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you walked down a road by my house that was like the, like, it said something like Old Mercia Road. It was like a little bronze oh. guy, Anglo-Saxon guy. <laughs>
0: okay. I missed it. Totally day. missed it.
1: <laughs> it was by the car park next to the okay. bridge. But anyway. Um, there you go. Yeah. So so that was the first Viking raid. But because of because of the prominence of Lindisfarne in Christendom and also because the people who had been raided could write and they recorded what had happened to them. And that information was actually shared throughout Christendom. And it was a shock. It was a shock to everybody not just in britain but all over christendom what had happened to lindisfarne it was really the impact was huge huge and um so if we could go to maybe do, do you have a I mean, you must have another picture of the other side so everyone typically you
0: have the other side this okay. is the side that caught my attention in the museum
1: exactly I was looking
0: at everything else and i saw this and i was like I've seen that before.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and then most people are interested in the first the side with the Vikings because that's really exciting and it's violent and and you know Vikings are everybody loves Vikings, but um, (laughs) but uh, we did look at this other side and you you actually called me over and I was like, "Whoa, look at that!" And so this is the other side, the side that doesn't always keep people, um. It's not as interesting, I think, but it is. It's fascinating. And so what we have on the other side is kind of a plain cross. It does have the four angles that are curved in that you would typically see on a Celtic cross, but it doesn't have the, the, the arches, the, the four arches that would form a circle around the cross. So it is relatively plain for a Celtic cross, and um and it and it doesn't have any kind of decorations now, to the left of the cross, um above, and i we should say that this is like a dome, like a vaulted type of shape, and yeah, imagine um,
0: a classic tombstone shape,
1: yeah, yeah, okay. and um on one side is just a very simple disc that represents the sun, and that's to the left, and on to the right of the um to the cross the upper part of the cross is a crescent and that is supposed to represent the moon at the base of um the cross on the left is a figure with their arms raised in like an orans posture with a head down and their the figure on the right has both hands together in a manner that you know maybe we could interpret it as a gesture of prayer or supplication um it but could be what a I
0: sorrow position too with the hands could moving be, to the yeah,
1: face, exactly. And if you look, if you look on the the figure to the right, you can see what looks a little bit like maybe something across their head, like some kind of band, and even a little bit of a, a cape kind of showing. Mm-hmm. It's it's re, of course a lot of this is worn away. A lot of the details are worn away just because of the age, and. Um, <clears throat> So what I find interesting is on either side of the arms of the cross, you have two hands coming out towards the cross and they're reaching out from the curved edges of the stone. And you're just wondering, are they highlighting the cross? Are they presenting the cross? Um, What what is going on here? And um, so this this is something that we found was really, you know, this. We, I think we just stood here and, and stared at this for a long time, going, what are we looking at? We know what we're looking at, but what are we looking at? The information about this cross was very limited. Um, the gravestone, so they're calling it a gravestone, and it, it, it could be because they have a number of gravestones there. And um, it's thought to be from around the ninth century. Both sides, the carving on either side are... Believed to have been contemporary of one another, so they were probably made very close. Um, So there was no repurposing of of the stone one way or another. So these things were done um, together, which I think you also have to take into account. So why was that? You know. So what are we looking at here? They're trying to give us some information, and what is the information they're giving us? Uh, The the museum said they just they had really had no information about it, and so that's when we. we really uh decided to to do some digging i will say this <clears throat> the name of the doomsday stone was taken from a quote from alcuin who was um a scholar and taught charlemagne's children at the time of the raid on lindisfarne and he thought he felt like this was a punishment from God for some things that had happened or had been allowed to happen on the island. And so the name comes from Alcuin's quote, but um, sorry, I got this wrong. So he was about a hundred years after the raid and he was talking about the raid. So they're still talking about the raid a hundred years later. And it was from his quote that the name, the stone was given the name the doomsday stone so it has nothing to do with what it was originally and um so my question to you Catherine, is so english heritage who who has um they're the custodians of the island they think this is an image that references the apocalypse but um what do you think
0: <laughs> what well, happened The reason why it stuck out to me so much is because I had been doing a lot of research before even going to the island to work on a commission I was asked to do. And here's all my research spewed out across my desk at the time. Yeah. And I have all these images of um, the crucifixion of Christ from different time periods. Um, Some are mosaics, some are icons, some are manuscripts the thing that struck me was how many of them had the sun and moon on either side. And if you read um, in the Bible, there's a lot of different times where that's brought up. There's Old Mm -hmm. Testament writings, New Testament writings. And we, in the crucifixion of Christ, hear about there's the eclipse of the sun or the sun being darkened. And so that's why... That sun and moon is there it 's letting you know something real happened on mm-hmm. this day. this is when Christ was crucified, and so to me, I knew right away I was looking at a scene of the crucifixion of Christ, yeah. had to in some way tie into that, and uh yeah, I found it you know fascinating that there was no mention of that as a possible description when we were in the N- museum
1: no, none at all, none whatsoever, and I think, oh my gosh, and I think um. Another thing about the sun and the moon is this is something that everybody has in common, you know? So if you're a missionary community going out and you can connect with people with something that they see every day and every night, and how does this relate to this image that we're looking at? So it's not an image, it's not something incorporating a pagan idea into, um, christian theology or or christian imagery so they can oh so we can relate to this now and that's not what it is it's it's something that um you know people notice the moon and the sun everybody on earth notices that you know no matter how long they happen to be staying you know they stay in the sky you know i happen to live in a part of the world where sometimes the sun isn't up for very long and sometimes it Never goes down, but um,
0: uh, yeah, you and I both in the northern, northern, exactly, northern exactly,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so it is something that everyone could relate to. But how do we relate to this? And you're talking about, of course, the crucifixion, the um, the uh, the eclipse of the sun. So this would, you know, the 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 moon overshadowing the sun is something that that happened during um, the crucifixion of our Lord. The moon and the sun have meant things symbolically in Christian art. And even before that, um, even in Jewish art, going back to the Old Testament and the lights in the sky, uh, things that are created not to be worshiped, but they're th- the, the moon and the sun are, um, are things that, uh, that the creator or God made. And, and one of the things I think was interesting is to connect it to, to scripture, St. Augustine really felt like the moon in the Old Testament, the moon represented the Old Testament, and the sun represented the New Testament. And so you have this, the, the moon reflecting the sun or the sun highlighting the moon. So in other words, the Old Testament is is illuminated by the New Testament, so they go together, and that is something that uh, these missionary um, monks would have understood, and they would have, they would have known this as well. you know they, they were there not too long after Augustine had written these things. And so when they were doing these images, were they also referring and trying to communicate to people? information about scripture the the right. uh new testament highlighting the old testament and that sort of thing um now and what's interesting
0: helps with the fact that this is more than likely a gravestone if it's yeah. the shape of a lot of others from the time period that we saw yeah. and that are out there um knowing that it was probably put up it could have been for someone from the first raid it's a very uh-huh. real possibility. Yeah. Because yeah. you have the raid on the one side, yeah. but then the other side, to have, you have that death and destruction on the other side to have the hope of new life in Christ. The hope of the resurrection.
1: Yeah. Through the resurrection, the
0: crucifixion. So, yeah.
1: It's ab- Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, this is something that they would have regularly. And what else? I guess I was thinking about this when you're talking about the other gravestones we know that these people were literate or or lettered shall i say i like to always think of imagery and art as being just another code that we need to learn how to read just like we can read Whatever language we read, this is another language. And so they were lettered. They would have had the ability to write down who this was and how they died because we saw gravestones that had people's names written on them and who they were, um, or what their, what their roles were. This was something that was done purely by image, um, which I think is also fascinating. So, uh, you've got some really, and, and I guess as we're looking at some of these images that Catherine has brought up on the screen, and again, so worth looking at with us, just, we'd love to take you through all of these together. Um, this image, these, the, the sun and the moon have just been with us for a long time and they're still with us. So if you want to talk about a couple of these images, Catherine, with the sun and the moon in them.
0: Yeah, what's nice is in the image of the carved capital, which is the top portion of a column. I loved how this one looked so familiar to the Lindisfarne stone, but this is in Spain and done hundreds of years later. And yet you still have that same imagery. The only difference is now you have Christ on the cross and the sun and the moon are in slightly different positions, which... It's it goes back and forth between which side you see them on.
1: Yeah, there's no hard set rule about where they yeah. they should just be on either side of the top of the cross. I think that's the, yeah.
0: The only thing I've heard is traditionally the sun was on Christ's right hand. That makes sense.
1: That would it make sense. Makes
0: sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the artist who carved this capital was thinking the same way I did, but. When the moon moves across the sun in an eclipse, it tends to move off to what would have been Christ's right hand. So I wanted yeah. to make sure I showed after he had passed. So it is yeah. finished. So to me, having the moon on the right, the sun on the other, it's just kind of like it's a moment of it's finished, it's complete. Yeah. 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 But then we have a detail from a manuscript. It has the sun and moon flipped. But again, that positioning is so important and again, having the people on either side of Christ. And sometimes those figures change too.
1: They do. And do you know what I'm just looking at? If you go back, I'm not asking you to flip back yeah. to oh, the, right. um, okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. you have to flip back to, to the doomsday image and you look at the position of the hands of the people. Mm-hmm. So one's has their hands raised and the other one has their hands clasped. And if you go back yeah. to the manuscript, That you were showing, Um, we have one one, with oops. Um, There we go. One, you know, our lady has her hands in prayer, and then Saint John kind of has his hands across his chest, but up. So it's a very
0: image of sorrow.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but Mm -hmm. again, very very similar. You know, you're talking Mm -hmm. about hundreds of years. One is, um, yeah, well, all three of these these images are from different periods of time they're different styles but there's a familiarity with both of the, with all three of them um, and
0: different locations across
1: yeah the different locations europe. across yeah. europe yeah so the, so you can see the connection you can see the connection in in this is why you know at this time this was you can call this christendom because they really were communicating um A lot, there was a lot of back and forth ideas at that time. And especially when it comes to the liturgy and, um, and sacred art, you know, the building of these great cathedrals, they were sharing ideas and, and the same people were traveling around Europe building, um, building different, I mean, if you knew what you were going to do, you could contract out and you could travel, (laughs) you know, that's not something, that's not a new idea. They were really quite a lot more mobile, I think, than, than we give them credit for And you can really see, sometimes you can't always see the connection in language um, and other traditions. But if you look at sacred art, you can see these people were definitely in some way connected to one another. And the universality of their images is what's important. Okay, this and looks cool. I
0: oh, yeah, this image, um, courtesy of Jonathan Pazzo. These are liturgical, yes, beautiful works. (laughs) These are liturgical fans that he had carved. These were part of the inspiration for my sun and moon that I did. Um, One great thing in sacred art is you want to look to other traditions, look to what's been done in the past, keep that continuity going. And so looking for inspiration from other artists. Um, Jonathan Pazzo is in the Orthodox Church and these fans are used um by the deacon and the fans originally were done with usually peacock feathers or other types of feathers and these Jonathan has carved those feathers out of wood and then in the center he has stone that's carved one is the sun and one is the moon
1: okay and what sorry so you say these are fans what are the fans for cuz i'm not i'm not familiar with that what
0: okay so <laughs> The fans, and the the fans used to be used in both the Eastern and Western rites of the church or the Orthodox and the Latin um, church. And in the middle here, I have a picture of a deacon who's using one of the fans. So during the consecration, they move these fans around in a slow, um, honorable way. And it has a practical purpose, is to keep the bugs away from... The holy um, elements—the bread and the wine—much in the same way that today um, priests in the West will use a chalice pall on top of.
1: Okay, okay. You know, oh, to cool. like
0: keep the elements pure.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so the
0: deacons will will do that motion to make sure that nothing gets into um, the sacred bread and wine or gets on it. I would love exactly. to see
1: that. I, yeah, I that I know that so... would
0: be beautiful to go yeah. to mass just to to watch that that movement, just that constant. Yeah, and you know, fans like this have been used in processions throughout history. Yeah, um, there's actually images of um, popes and kings and queens that have been processed, and they'll have those fans there. They're sign of honor. They also have practical purposes of literally fanning someone, cooling them down. Yeah, and keeping, yeah. Keeping bugs away. And this is
1: something that, you know, you know, not just in, you know, it could be a sign of status. You know, you think about the people, as you said, people, you know, of honor being, you know, you want to make, they should maintain their dignity. And so you want to, you know, make sure the bugs don't kind of land on their noses or whatever. I was also thinking when you mentioned about the, um, uh, the, the feathers and traditionally they would have been peacock feathers. And if you look closely at the, the way Jonathan has carved the feathers around the images of the sun and the moon, they do look a little bit like the peacock eyes right at the end. And, um, they're traditionally, this is very ancient, um, Christian, um, imagery is it was believed in the ancient world that, uh, peacocks were, were immortal. Like their flesh was immortal. And so in a lot of images from very, very early Christian images, you would see peacocks because that was that kind of people in that time, um, in that particular part of the world would have understood the message of that peacock meaning eternal life. Not to mention
0: all those eyes on their
1: feathers, especially when
0: you hear about like angels with all these eyes and, a lot of I'm times sure. when I paint an angel, I love doing peacock feathers in the angel's wings because I yeah. have that, that vision of God,
1: so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something and they're, I mean, you know, let's face it, they're beautiful.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, Loud you know, and noisy, but beautiful. Yeah. yeah they're
1: not the nicest song, but you know, or the call, but the, yeah, it's like that. I think that's the other thing is it it needs to be beautiful. It needs to be something that you really go, wow, what is that? Not, not flashy, but, um, some kind of connection. And, and so I think with the sun and the moon, this really interesting discovery we made going all the way back to our, our trip to, um, Lindisfarne, it really struck me how connected we are. And I want to, um, We've oh god yeah oh gosh gosh <laughs> we, <yeah. laughs>
0: I surprised you I'm sorry I put my pictures up just gotta, to show how it really is everywhere yeah maybe it's edit that out it's kind of silly to say this but it's it's like when you buy a car of a certain color and all of a sudden you see all the cars of the same color.
1: Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So after seeing yeah. the
0: stone at Lindisfarne and working on that painting, all of a sudden I'm seeing the sun and moon everywhere. I look.
1: Yeah. So again, yeah. we
0: have all these great images, and some of them very old. Yeah. This um, one from
1: the Rabula at, um, Gospels. That's like it's like second, third century. It's I mean that's a fresco, isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, no,
0: this is Gospel, so it's from a book.
1: So this is sorry. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but
0: again, the image is from a long time ago. It's from, I think, in what was now Syria.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And you have, there's the sun and the moon and the Christ sun. being crucified. And then in the middle, there's a, a stained glass window from a parish uh, here in Michigan, up in the northern area. Yeah. And these windows were done in the 19-teens out of Germany. And you have to look real carefully, but that's what I was going to arm. Oh the yeah. Moon on I one see side it. in the sun. And I love how they have them in like a deep red color as if it's still dark. It hasn't yeah, quite come out like of that
1: blood. Light. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, and then even it's, yeah, it's like the, um, is the sun setting or rising in the back? It's just, there's a lot going on there. That's so cool. And again, look at the, look at the hands of our lady and, Saint John the Evangelist, very you know, very interesting. This, this whole, um, uh, I, the postures and everything, just you know, going back and back and back. Yeah, back like to, look at
0: them in the Coptic crucifixion icon. Yeah, you know, Mary, you know, she's a little more sorrowful. She's got her her uh, shawl up to her face. Yeah, Mary yeah. Mary Magdalene kneeling at the cross foot of the cross, and then John still kind of and is surprised yet sorrowful. Yeah. But this one I thought was fascinating because the face of the sun and the moon, the moon is un- under our little uh, label there. Yeah. You can still see it a little bit. There's neat how sometimes the sun and moon have faces and sometimes they don't.
1: Sometimes they don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting. Well, the one from the um, Rabula Gospels, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but... Sorry. Um, <laughs> you can see that the sun has a face, but the moon doesn't. And, and of course, the one on Lindisfarne, there's nothing. There could have been something a long time ago, but we don't know. Um, I would... Don't you wish you could... I just want some... the
0: bottom of the stone. I pray that they find <laughs> the bottom of the stone. I want to see the whole thing all together.
1: Yeah, yeah. That would it's, be
0: fabulous. It
1: would be. It would be. But it's... Um, so that's something that I think is really fascinating about sacred art and what should still be there. You know, when we talk about the universality of sacred art, we, we just looked at um, images from, uh, gosh, the, the first one, the Syrian one is that from the third or fourth century and then yeah, Lindisfarne, which is in the uh, ninth or 10th century, all the way to the 19th century. I'm sure we, we, If we looked, we would be able to find some from the 20th century. Well, we did, sorry, in the 21st century with Jonathan Pajot's carvings all the way through. And then you can take it all the way back to Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, yeah. Because of your
0: project that you had recently worked on, you came across
1: these beautiful
0: mosaics.
1: Yes, this is at the Florentine Baptistry in Italy and I believe these are from the 13th century and uh it's the story of Joseph. I did a I did a talk um recently about St. Joseph and I used uh Old Testament well I used um art to go through uh, the old Testament. And here, what I think is just genius, what they've done with, um, this first mosaic, this is the seven days of creation. And it's just ingenious because you have the logos on the top. And, um, you want don't to describe
0: what the Logos is? I don't know if yes, everybody sorry, knows what yes. that means.
1: So this is actually <laughs> an image of Christ um, as the, the representing the uh, the second person of the Trinity, and he is at the day of creation. And I don't think a lot of people think about the second person of the Trinity being present at the creation, but of course he was. Um, all three of them were there. and And I think the whole idea of you know, and and it almost is a foreshadowing of, um, the word becoming flesh because he's here at the, um, during the creation of the world. And in this image, you have, um, the sun and the moon and uh, under the sun is Adam under the moon is Eve. And of course, then you think about, um, our lord being the sun and our lady being reflected it, she's a she reflects the sun so that is absolute that is genius theology in in this image and you have the waters and the the teeming with life and you have the land animals and i think on either side of these pillars it's a little bit difficult to see but i'm convinced that must be the elements of some kind, the firmament of the earth or, or something, oh, because okay. just nothing, you know, I'm just, one pil- one pillar has like these waves. I'm thinking, is that supposed to be the wind? And then I'm not quite oh, sure okay. what the other one looks like. It looks a little bit like a giraffe's neck, but I know that's not what they are <laughs> trying to, <laughs> I know that's, that's just me not understanding what I'm seeing. But what I think is so great about this image is you can read this image, not only looking at it and going, oh, there's that, there's this, and oh i recognize that but it is a theological lesson of the word made flesh and and they've just done it so beautifully and there's the sun and the moon now on the second little panel is um joseph dreaming and uh joseph of the old testament who was a foreshadow who foreshadowed christ and um or he was i guess a christ um
0: yeah, A Christ-like that. figure. Yeah, he yeah. foreshadowed.
1: Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And um, he dreamt that the sun and the moon um, were bowing down to him. And he he said this meant that his, his family was going to bow down to him. Oh, don't and forget all his little jealous brothers were the stars know, bowing all down suns to him. Well, yeah, I can <laughs> understand. I can kind of see where they were coming from sometimes. Yeah. But, um, and then you can see also... The, um, the wheat, the one, um, the, all the stalks of wheat bowing down to the one and he was the one that they were bowing down to. Interestingly, this is in a baptistry. So you think, what does this have to do with baptism? But that's, that's for another story or another podcast. I think I would, I would absolutely love to, um, go to this baptistry and really explore. And, uh, you know, so I think when you see how the sun and moon has been used throughout history, different parts of the world, I would say I would, I want to encourage our listeners to take a look and see if you can find the sun and the moon, um, in your local parish, church, um, or cathedral. Uh, if you're, if you like to, um, haunt museums the way, I do, uh, when you go to the, sometimes you can't always rely on what the information is that the museums are giving you, but now you have a little bit more information to, um, to discover, uh, something that has been in Christendom since the very beginning. And we all, and it and it, we made lots of discoveries on that island. Oh, and yeah. so. And there's I'm,
0: more and more to discover for sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think, um, and if it hadn't been for you, just keeping, there was so much to take in, to be fair, there. But you spotted that. So kudos to Catherine for spotting it
0: (laughs) just happened to be like right in the middle of what I was working on. So thank you Lord for another bit of inspiration on my work. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, can I just say one more thing? If there are any artists out there listening and if you're thinking about what is this whole sacred art thing, is this something that I really, you know, should I dip my toes into it? Start looking at all of these, these symbols that have been around for a long time and will be around for a long time. You know, there are some things that come and go, but there are certain images that are, that are, that have been here. So start thinking about that and how you can utilize these things in your art.
0: And really look for inspiration to other really good artists that are out there. Um, Yeah, Jonathan Paggio does a fabulous job with his work and he also does um, a podcast talks about symbolism and understanding it. So it's a great resource for um, sacred artists, um, artists in general, just to understand the message that you're, you're putting out there. You know, you may think it, you know, it's just for you, but when you put a mess an image out there, it's going to speak to people around them. So.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it's important that the message is understood. And sometimes, you know, and, And the thing that I think is really wonderful about sacred art and especially, you know, just our experience on Lindisfarne, it's almost difficult to put into words. When we saw that connection to the island, through the art, we were connected to that island. Now, little did I know that I was really connected to the island. Uh, Yeah, you are. As a Lindsay. Go back and own it. That's (laughs) yours. But... But we, we made that connection. We were immediately connected to those pe- those, those monks on the island who were laboring yeah. prayerfully every day and going out and evangelizing. And yeah, yeah, we actually had a-, a
0: moment of taking, taking the island back when we went into. There's another chapel, which has another great story for us, to, an image for us to talk about. But yeah, we did take the time to say the Angelus on the prayer. Yes, to bring back a little bit of the holy to what yeah. sometimes is just a tourist site.
1: Yes, exactly. And I and I have to say, just to go full circle, um, I, it was lovely to see a commemorative plaque, and this was commemorative uh, from the people of Norway, and it mm-hmm. was um, my buddy uh, Saint Ulav or Olaf den Helje. And it was a, a plaque for reparations of every, all of the, the raids. And when we were in Norway, many times there were Norwegians who would go over on pilgrimage and they would do um, reparations for, mm-hmm. for what had happened to that island, which I think is beautiful. So again, it's, it's kind of, this is the thing about this island. It's almost timeless. It's outside yes. of time and space. It's so weird. And uh, if you ever get to go to that island, absolutely jump at the chance, but watch the title times.
0: <laughs> yes. Pay attention.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or oh, get a place nice. to stay on the island because if you, you know, you, you'll you be sleeping in your car if you miss, <laughs> if you're not fast well, enough. Well, I'm
0: ready to go back because I want to just spend a whole week on that island. It's got a lot to offer just in yeah the way it's laid out and this got sand dunes, just that had me at sand dunes,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think it's but, well we're gonna i I will have to mention this. there is something called the St Cuthbert's Pilgrimage, and it is uh, from uh, it's from Durham to Lindisfarne, and we're we're gonna do that pilgrimage um I don't know if we're gonna do it this summer or not, but uh, my husband wants to walk like I want to leave, I want to start from Lindisfarne and go to Durham. But actually, you're supposed to do it the other way around. But I'm scared. I don't want to be walking. <laughs> when the tide, I'm just so afraid of the tide because I can't swim. So that's why I think I'll be like the only other person. Donald
0: will not let you
1: get stuck. <laughs> oh, I'll be walking so fast across that causeway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, running so definitely
0: for definitely a next time. Have to get back there. And yeah, for our next episode. We're going to have to bring things back a little to basics.
1: Yeah. So, we've been yeah. talking
0: about all these great images. We saw some beautiful images throughout history, and a lot of them have color. Yes. And we're going to have to talk about color in sacred art. Um, color has significance, not just yeah. in sacred art, but in our everyday lives. Yeah. And so, we're going to kind of tip off on how all of that fits into the greater purpose within sacred art.
1: I think, do you know what? Honestly, I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait to hear about this because this is not my um, subject of expertise. I think Catherine is really the one that can, that can go into this and it's really fascinating. So yeah, and don't miss that one. I having a daughter
0: who's an interior designer and has tipped me off on a lot of things I should and should not
1: do with colors. <laughs> there you go. But it's, and it's what I think is interesting is it's a little bit of a science today, but it wasn't something that was necessarily a science, um, a long time ago with sacred art, but it definitely was a tradition. And somehow that tradition works very neatly with the science. Isn't that interesting? Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly.
1: So a little bit of a coincidence there, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, well, I think this Mm -hmm. has been fun and I hope, yes. So everyone keep your eyes peeled for the sun and the moon. And if you find anything, we would love for you to, um, show us some of the images you find maybe on, on, uh, discord. Is that how we would we yeah, encourage discord. people? Let's, to, let's share some
0: images that we find out there. Yeah.
1: And if you have absolutely. the chance,
0: if you've only listened to this, try to get to the video. So she'd have a chance to see the images, pause them, maybe zoom in, take a closer look. And then we will put posts to all the images that we've talked about and. Uh, to Jonathan Pagio's work so she can take a look and see what he has out there.
1: Perfect. All okay. Right, until
0: next time, I'm Katherine Laffrey.
1: And I'm Alex Murray. And we hope that you find something beautiful.
0: Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Doctor Who. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com doctor who.